KCRW sponsors include Make It Universal and Rotten Tomatoes, presenting Scene on the Screen with Jacqueline Coley, a new podcast about the people at NBC Universal and the movies that define them. Available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Joe Morgenstern, the film critic of the Wall Street Journal. In Terminator Salvation, primal screams come with the bleak territory. Any character of consequence gets to unleash one, and there's plenty to scream about. Judgment Day has put an end to civilization. The few surviving members of a ragtag resistance seem outmatched by Skynet and its gigantic Terminator robots that pluck people up without warning, like claws grabbing little plush toys in arcade vending machines. It's anything but an upper, but this fourth installment of Terminator on the big screen isn't a total downer either. It's a deafening, sometimes boring, occasionally startling, and ultimately impressive war movie with a sporadic concern for what it is that makes us human. John Connor, the emerging leader of the Resistance, is played this time by Christian Bale. It's a perfect choice, since he's the primo sufferer of our time, a performer with a steady-state intensity compounded of pursed lips, gimlet eyes, and a doomy monotone that bespeaks an invisible chokehold. The revelation, though, is Sam Worthington. He plays Marcus, a mysterious time-traveling stranger who may or may not be John Connor's nemesis. Marcus suffers, too, frequently and loudly, and the actor's no slouch as a primal screamer, but Worthington's specialty is taking command of the camera. Later this year, he'll star in James Cameron's Avatar. It's fascinating to watch him dominate scene after scene with his coiled energy, compelling voice, and quick intelligence. To be thoroughly human on screen, it helps to be a well-trained actor from Australia. Audiences will buy the film just as readily as they did the new Star Trek, and why not? The Terminator mythology remains intact, and the production delivers on its promise of an epic showdown between an all-too-human flesh and much-too-precocious machinery. Night at the Museum, Battle of the Smithsonian, is critic-proof. Nothing I say would have the slightest effect on its commercial fate. That leaves me free to marvel at the movie's cheerful idiocy, which seems definitive, even though the summer season has just begun, and at the efficiency of the filmmakers who've dumbed down a dumb premise of proven success. They've left nothing to chance by seeming to leave everything to chance. Compared to this chaotic sequel, the 2006 Night at the Museum was as tightly structured as law and order. Amy Adams plays Amelia Earhart as a pert variation on the theme of Catherine Hepburn. When Amelia isn't flying the Wright brothers' biplane, she's imploring Rodin's newly rambunctious thinker to sit down and think, or shouting Great Gatsby as Abe Lincoln stands up, shrugs the pigeons off his shoulders, and ankles his marble monument. Ivan the Terrible insists he wasn't terrible, which seems plausible, in the context of a bloviating pharaoh with a Boris Karloff lisp, three cherubs doing the love theme from Titanic, General Custer riding a motorcycle, a squirrel mistaking Steve Coogan's tiny Roman soldier for a nut, and Al Capone spending FaceTime with a bunch of bobble-headed Einstein dolls. Repeat offenders include Robin Williams, Owen Wilson, Ricky Gervais, and of course Ben Stiller, 
whose Larry Daly has come up in the world since his gig as a museum guard. Have I ended up making this sound enjoyable? Beware of idiocy's charms. I'm Joe Morgenstern, and I'll be back on KCRW next week with more reviews. KCRW sponsors include Make It Universal and Rotten Tomatoes, presenting Scene on the Screen with Jacqueline Coley, a new podcast about the people at NBC Universal and the movies that define them. Available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.